This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 4. This is Writing Excuses, protagonists who aren't sympathetic. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. Valin. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. All right, and we have, for the whole year, special guest star, Valin. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Valin E. Mayatani. I'm a young adult writer. My book, Ink and Ashes, came out in 2015. It's a mystery thriller. I also have a couple more companion books coming out in the Ink and Ashes series, and two more books coming out with Harper Teen uh, next year and 2019. Excellent. And just to be awesome. clear, when you say you are a young adult author, you are an author of young adult books. I'd like to think I'm a young adult, but um, apparently people tell me I look much older than that. So, yes, I do <laughs> write for young were adults. Were I a bartender, I probably wouldn't card you depending on how good the lights were. That's a little offensive, but I will I will allow uh, it. I just yeah, wanted to make I, sure I will, to get that out there. Not sure. I will that. Part. It's because Howard is showing us what it's like when a protagonist is not sympathetic. <laughs> I am exceedingly non-sympathetic right now, yeah. Well, you're not getting any sympathy from me right now. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to start us off with a definition. As it was explained to me in college, I could be wrong on this, but I've always viewed antiheroes, which we're going to talk about today, in two general groups. Um, the classic literary antihero, which is just a character who doesn't, as Howard would say, protag. They were devised as a character who did not fulfill the role that a protagonist was supposed to. They were not heroic. They were not moving the story along. It was a literary. Stuff. It was a literary device yeah. for uh, defying expectations by yes. putting someone where the protagonist would be. And they don't act like the protagonist. Exactly. Now, that's not what it means to most pop culture when you say anti-hero now. Anti-hero now generally means somebody who does good but is an evil person. They mm -hmm. achieve means that we root for through, you know, it's the, the classic Punisher sort of thing or whatnot. Um, it's yeah. a person who goes too far, but we still want to like. It's, uh, it's Deadpool or something like this. And those are two distinct types, and I want to talk about both of those today, um, though we're going to back it up just a little bit. And the first question I'm going to ask you is, um, have you ever written a protagonist that people don't like? How did you do it? And uh, why would you do it? Hmm. Dan? <laughs> I'm Everyone's looking, right looking at, at me. The weird thing is you are writing a little bit more of someone who we do like, and we start yeah. to dislike, right? In in certain John Cleaver books, you push him into non-likability on purpose. Mm -hmm. So and, and, and that's why? what we did in the second one. The, mm -hmm. the entire goal of the first book of I'm Not a Serial Killer was I'm going to make you like this guy even though he's not a really great guy. Right. And then once you liked him, the second book has this kind of reverse character arc where he goes down and then back up instead of rising to a climax and then a denouement. So there's a big chunk in the middle. In fact, uh, when we when I ran this through the writing group with Brandon, he we showed up that week and he said, well, I'm done with this character. I will never like him again. And I thought, we'll see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if you ever... Yeah, I if, totally did. If he redeemed himself mm -hmm. in your eyes. But the point there was 
to take him into unlikable territory in part just as a test to see, because it was a horror novel, to see how much I could get away with and how much you would be willing to go along with. And so for me, an unlikable protagonist is an opportunity to make the reader very uncomfortable because that's just a tool I don't often get to play with. It is very difficult and dangerous to do. Um, The times I've done it most successfully, I've done it in books that I didn't think ended up working um, and didn't end up releasing. And Mm -hmm. this is because it is so difficult to do. um, Let me me explain. Normally, this is working in one of two ways. Number one, it's a literary archetype where people are going in wanting their expectations to fight. Or number two, you're doing the actual, you know, anti-hero where they're really going to like the character, right? Making a character that people don't like on purpose, it's one of these skills that as a writer, oftentimes we're like, ooh, I could do this. And Mm -hmm. then you write the book and you're like, I did this. Boy, this is (laughs) unreadable. Question that might be easier Mm -hmm. for the the group. Um, Have we written characters who were not the antagonist, Mm -hmm. who were, you know, with the protagonist, who were part of the protagonist team who we made deliberately unsympathetic. Have you? Um, You've got a large cast. Sur- surely. I, I, yeah, I have, a, I have a large cast, but I have a cheat, mm-hmm. which is that uh, there is always a punchline. In the schlock mercenary universe, the first rule of physics of that universe is there is always a punchline. And by virtue of there being a punchline, if somebody has made you laugh, you end up liking right. them. And so e- even if they're horrible, mm-hmm. uh, they— I've done this with uh, with side characters, and most often for me, it's a signal that the character is becoming an antagonist. Um, and I'll usually start with, boy, you wish this character had made different decisions, but you still like them. Moving into, man— I'm, I don't actually like this character into, mm-hmm. oh, it's okay for me to not like them. Yeah. Brandon has made him into a villain. I get it now. And there is that uncomfortable moment in the middle. Um, yeah. There's an entire subreddit dedicated to one of these characters, which is just swearing at them. Um, and almost all the posts are just two words, uh, which I'll leave to your imagination, involving the character's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Butterscotch. Yeah. And this actually came from- a, it came from a, um, a Game of Thrones meme where the same thing yeah. happened with a character. Well, and that's that was the character arc of Walter White in Breaking Bad. Yeah. And in season three, that's the uncomfortable season because that's mm-hmm. where he's in that limbo where you're like, wait, isn't he supposed to be the hero? And he is not anymore. And by the time you get to season four, you're like, yes, yeah, F this guy. So he, he's a full on villain now. Why? Why did they do this? What, what did they gain from the story? Well, in the case of Breaking Bad, what they gained was... I mean, that was their entire purpose setting out from the beginning. We are going to show a fall from grace, the origin story of a supervillain, which is just awesome. Valen, you did this in your book, but with um, uh, with the father figure, right? Mm-hmm. The adoptive father, who we introduce sympathetically, and the entire opening of that book is to make us uncomfortable about the fact that we liked this person. Yes. Um, I think that... And and I've written this kind of character a lot in other things that I have not published. But one of the things that I've liked about it is just that 
this is reality. There are a lot of people that we just do not like. And sometimes we can't even explain why we don't like them. They are just very irritating. And so I like mimicking reality. And so I think that I don't necessarily set out with the purpose of making this character character likable or not likable. That's not part of my thought process. It's more just creating that character and seeing how people react to them. I think that there are people that I get really irritated in life with Mm. that other people don't. And so Mm -hmm. I think we just need to write the characters um, the way that they come to us. And sometimes characters just aren't likable. And if there are things that we begin to like about them— uh, that that make that begin to make them a little more sympathetic. Uh, that inherently can also sway your readers as well. But there are a lot of things that people do. People are not perfect. We make a mm-hmm. lot of mistakes, Let and me- some are not redeemable, and some are. Well, and I think that that is a, a really good point. That it is an accurate reflection of a lot of people and people that we know and people that we are. Um, Harry Potter five. What's interesting to me about that book is that it seems, for the most part, that's either people's favorite or least favorite Harry Potter book. And it's because they're taking these 14, 15-year-old characters and just really accurately presenting all the angst of being 14, 15 years old. They're whiny. They snipe at each other. They make stupid decisions on purpose because of whatever. And, you know, I hated that book so much, but at the same time... I can remember being like that and I can remember doing those same dumb things. And I spent the whole book kind of rooting for them, you know, come on, Harry, get your act together. And that was an interesting process to go through emotionally. You know, one of the things I think that makes this work is hanging a lantern on it. Like, I've found that in stories I'm writing, if there are subtle indications to the reader that it's okay to dislike this character, then they are able to do this disassociation where they separate and say, oh, okay. I can dislike this character without disliking this book. That's what I'm supposed to do. Um, and that uncomfortable moment is where you're not sure yet. Mm-hmm. Like by the time you, you mentioned Breaking Bad, by that season four, everyone's like, all right, I get a route to watch this guy's downfall rather than rooting to see them succeed. We can mode shift and enjoy it. Um, and the books that sometimes, like the, the ones that I haven't released that have not worked, it's because that transition doesn't happen and people are just frustrated with the character the entire time. Mm-hmm. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. And we're actually going to do the science fiction classic uh, (laughs) anti-hero story, Thomas Covenant the Unbeliever. Yeah, when you say science fiction classic, it's it's epic fantasy. Yes. Um, And uh, I picked this up. uh, I I have not read it. You know, disclaimer, I have not read it for decades. Um, But if you want the experience of a a non-sympathetic main character, Mm -hmm. um, my experience with that book, I picked it up after having read the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, and that was the extent of my epic fantasy reading. Um, and I picked that book up, and when Thomas Covenant 
who is a leper and who is bitter and cynical and horrible, Mm -hmm. when he gets pulled across into the fantasy world, which the back of the book told me was going to happen and which I was very excited about, he immediately begins doing horrible things. And I felt betrayed by the entire genre. I was, I was very, very upset. Um, but I kept reading because as a young man, for whatever reason, it had not yet occurred to me that I was allowed to stop reading a book once I had started. <laughs> well, let's also, let's extol a little bit of the little literary merits. Uh, and well, but see, yes. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I, yes, I was very put off by that, but I was put off because it was done so realistically and so well. I was, I was engaged. I was committed. And as I kept reading, I found reasons to like Thomas Covenant. And by the end of the series, by the end of the series, he redeems himself, kind of after a fashion. Kind of. Um, I mean, I'm going to say Stephen Donaldson is an excellent writer. Uh, this is part of it. And uh, Thomas Covenant is the classic antihero. This is not a modern antihero. So if you go in expecting, oh, That's true. you know, he's he's got a heart of gold. He's not he's the doing, Punisher. He's not the Punisher. He is classic in that he does not want to move the plot. He acts against moving the plot. Um, and I will warn readers, there is a rape scene early in this book. Yeah. Um, that was what put me off. Yeah. And this is this is a really interesting book in that it is, a literary um, fantasy novel released in the 70s right after the Tolkien mania wave hit, and there wasn't a lot of fantasy of that style, um, and this very much is, but it's like mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Donaldson said, yeah, let's write that Lord of the Th- Rings thing, but with a with a classic literary antihero, and it is a fascinating book. I still can't say if I like it. In fact, I'm going to say I dislike it, but I am fascinated by it at the same time. Yeah. Um, I, I love I, disclosure. I have not finished the series, um, and I never grew to like Thomas Covenant himself. But I really enjoyed the books that I read because of the way I kind of saw it as a what if thought experiment. What if we had to do Lord of the Rings, but instead of Frodo, we had this horrible douchebag, um, and that was really interesting. And watching the other characters try to deal with well this is who we have to work with. How are we going to make this fly? Yeah. What if, what if the hero of prophecy does not want to be the hero of prophecy and the prophecy doesn't care? Mm-hmm. It, it was, it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of, in that <laughs> sense, in, in that, I mean, watching yes. those things unfold, that was, for various was definitions fun. of fun. For various definitions of fun. Lord Fowl's Bane uh, mm-hmm. is the first book of the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant by Stephen R. Donaldson. All right, let's go to modern antiheroes. Let's talk about uh, the Punisher, or um, let's talk about this style of, you know, um, the Chronicles of Riddick, or whatever it is where it's, hey, look, it's a bad guy, but really he's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever written this? What do you think about this? Why do we enjoy these types of stories? I think that we enjoy them. Well, it's, I'm not writing this now, but it's going to be in one of my next books. I think we enjoy writing them because it's different. But once again, it reflects a certain part of humanity and maybe a certain part of us where sometimes there are things that we wish we could do and we don't get to do them Mm -hmm. the way we want to do them. And there's part of us that just wishes we could say, you know what? Forget all the rules and laws and 
politeness and human right. graces and just get the job done. I think you hit it on the head. That's exactly, it's wish fulfillment, but in a, in a, I wish I could do this and there weren't social mores holding me back from doing it my way. Even um. though my way is probably not actually my way. Like, <laughs> I think if you got us all together and said, what do you really want the world to be like? We're like, oh yeah, we do not want this world, but there's a certain there's a certain part inside of us that's the, you know, the four-year-old kid who's just like, you know what? What if I just could go, ah, and, and make everything better? Yeah. <laughs> I think another part of this um, pop culture antihero is the idea that um, the best characters have a certain dramatic tension to them, um, built into them. And we've talked about this idea that, you know, characters, you have this likability scale. You can make them more or less likability. You can make them more or less proactive. You can make them more or less competent. And if you put all three at the top, you end up generating what we call an iconic hero, which we're going to do a story uh, a podcast about later. These are, the, these are the James Bonds of the world, right? Everything's at the top. You're, you know, the classic, uh, a lot of heroes this way. But modern fiction has played with these, what we call sliding scales and dials and you can have your own versions, but those are the ones I envision where they move one all the way to the bottom and say, can we still have a hero, right? You've got this idea of like Samwise Gamgee where it's like he really wants to, he's really likable and he really wants to do good things, but he just doesn't have any competence at all, um, right? And things like this. Well, I feel like the classic anti-hero is like, well, we need dramatic tension. Iconic heroes are falling out of favor. People are not wanting to read or watch this story about someone who is just hyper-competent, hyper-likable, hyper-everything. What if we move the likability all the way down, you know, the, the niceness factor all the way down, but we still made them extremely proactive and extremely competent? Um, and that type of story creates this anti-hero thing where narratively there's attention to them. We're not, you know, they're rough around the edges and they're, they're even, they're not just Clint Eastwood rough around the edges. They're beyond that. They're like, I would not want to hang out with this person. I don't want to be anywhere near them, I'm, but I'm fascinated by them. I'm trying to think of good examples of that. And the best example I can think of is from a, a movie that really benefits by not, by you not watching the first half of the first act. Um, and that is, please don't laugh at me, uh, Battleship. <laughs> the Sorry. movie. The, the you movie. told me not to. Okay. Um, the the first half of the first act, the main character is made out to be so unlikable that it's actually unbelievable that he can end up in the positions he's in later in the story. If you don't watch the first 20 minutes of the film and just start with the aliens and the battleships, then it is a fun popcorn movie that manages to work in the mechanics <laughs> of a goofy board game into <laughs> battleships versus aliens. Um, my daughter, uh, she, uh, 22, uh, sat down to watch Battleship with us and walked out of the room uh, during the, the opening scene. She walked out of the room and said, I'm done with him. Let me know when the ships show up. Uh, and she's not wrong. Mm -hmm. All right, let's wrap this one up. Um, I have some homework for you. I want you to take a slightly different spin on this. I want you to write a protagonist or a hero that the reader is supposed to like and does like, right? You're going to make them likable, but you're going to try to create dramatic tension by having them, um, having the reader not want this protagonist to succeed. 
So generally, the reader's going to have information that the protagonist doesn't, or they're going to see things more clearly than the protagonist does. And so you want the hero to fail. Uh, he or she is trying something, and you like them, but you still want them to not succeed. See if you can do that. It's very difficult. It's an interesting thought experiment. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cut scene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.